I know as the ushers, as the ushers continue to take the offering, um, I just, you can multitask for a moment with me. Uh, I'm, I want to share with you that next Sunday, as we continue this series of Good Life, we're talking about um, a flourishing family. And one of the things that we really believe is important, as he said, is, is uh, for men to kind of know the um, influence they can have within their family. So next week, we're going to have a, a story someone's going to share. I'm excited to have that individual who has been mentored to someone who goes to our church by Vince, and then Vince is going to come and share. So I'm going to ask you guys to, to show up next week. Uh, I would love for you to also invite some other guys to think about. Uh, there may be some of your friends who, who attend, you know, because there is that, uh, that statistic that people attend church 1.8 Sundays a month. So if, if we get a bunch of you at this next service, because I'm really excited about some of the things that Vince is going to share, and, and you, you need to hear a story. It's a pretty powerful story. So please um, think about that and do that. The other thing I wanted just to say um, is thank you. Thank you as a congregation, as Andrea McMaster had said, for your prayers. And, and I know that I sincerely felt those. Um, and I know so did our staff and our volunteers. And, and I received so many <clears throat> text messages and emails and, and, and different communications from people, not just from this church, from around the community who prayed. And, uh, and that was incredible. One of the ways... Uh, that you can serve is to do so. And one of the things we've talked about, we started in, in May and we said, God, we would like to be a kind of church. You know, imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve the West Metro in the name of Jesus. That's our vision. Because we kind of know that as we serve selflessly and everyone really begins to say, what's my spiritual gift? How can I get involved? What can I do? Whatever it takes we really believe that God will build the platform for his Holy Spirit to speak in the hearts and lives of people. And he may use you to speak. He may use someone else. But God is building a platform. And, and, and God wants to, I believe, honor the commitment we've made. I remember we all stood and we asked the Holy Spirit to seal that back in June. And so I just continued. I just thank you. I have to say a special thanks. And I know uh, there's a number of people, but just especially when this whole thing occurred, I asked Dee Sandberg, um, who does, who's kind of our caring pastor, to do all that, that area of the care and the management of the volunteers. And I asked Mike Brinkman to do all the operations and facility stuff. And they put in countless hours, countless hours. And many of you came and served. And some of you who wanted to come um, served doing whatever it takes by just saying, I'll stay home and pray. And wasn't it cool that God allowed for that service to be on television? Pretty amazing. One other thing I'm just going to say, because I look out here and I go, one of the things we're going to try and do, and we've been kind of emphasizing, I'm going to say it, and so don't go to a place of shame, those of you on these sides, but we really, it would make a huge difference if we could kind of pull in towards the center. So in the future, I just, if, as you come in in the morning, those of you, if you could think about kind of, and, and if we need to make room, that's great, but kind of pull towards the center. Uh, the reason I say that, and you go, well, why do you want, what does that matter? It really does help in, in our worship experience, and it helps in... As even a communicator, because there's something about people who are closer together, um, 
it, it allows for a communication to occur in, in dynamics that are really um, helpful. So I just, I just want to ask and encourage you to think about that. And uh, if you feel like in your heart God says, no, this is my seat, I'm not going to mess with that, okay? <laughs> I really love you guys, and I'm so grateful that I can serve you, and I'm so grateful we can do this together, and I'm so grateful for the unity that God has brought together. I thank you, our elders, for the way that they have come and come around this and preserved and really protected this unity. And let's just continue to lean into what it means to serve this community in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. Jesus, I pray right now that you would take our hearts and as we come, we're coming from different places and we have different things in our mind and sometimes it's even hard to stay tuned to you. But God, would you speak to our hearts at some point in some way? um, Refresh, renew our understanding of who you are because when we know you, when we see you for who you are, we can't help but our body has to respond. Our minds have to begin to deal with that. Our spirit has been, has been actually hardwired to be in relationship with you. So God, we pray that you would deal in such a way that your spirit is present and speaking in and through the words of this, uh, just this talk I give and through this, through this time together. And help us as we take this in to go out and to serve with joy, to look for places to do good, to build peace, to be a light. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. As uh, about nine or so years ago, I was the executive director of Trinity International University in South Florida and um, pray for South Florida, right? And for Houston and and just a tragedy there. But um, I also oversaw a radio station called 89.7 Spirit FM. And, and that radio station, it was a 100,000-watt radio station, which just was incredible. In fact, when, when, when the school f- decided to sell it and, and felt that this was an important thing to do, the people who were looking at it said that 100,000-watt signal, um, which they have been involved with lots of stations, that's like one of the highest you can get, was like a hot knife and butter, the way it could cut through. It went all the way north and even went out to the Bahamas and had this incredible... Um, Ability to influence and reach many people, but we had a DJ um, there, and and he would often say over the radio, uh, kind of one of his marquee statements was, "God is good all the time, and all the time, and God is good." And you go to events and you go, "God is good all the time," and you know what it is, and. But in South Florida, it's amazing they didn't sound like that. <laughs> Because when he would say, God is good all the time, and you know what to say. Yeah, they would really get into it. So um, I just want you to know that's the truth, and that's kind of what we're talking about this morning in this message. God wants you to flourish because this God is good, and this God desires you to experience what we've called the good life, which is wrapped up in some words like shalom, which a good 
Old Testament Jew, would, they would say hello, shalom, and they would part in shalom because it was this word that meant it's so hard and so rich and so difficult to, to define. But it, it is this word that is so rich and vibrant and filled with hope for every good thing in life. It's, it's what we said last week. It's what you wish for your children. It's what you hope for your family. It's what you pray when you think of your loved ones. You want shalom. There's other words in the Bible that kind of characterize this as well. There's one that's called blessed, which is, is the word that Jesus used in, in, in transliterated. It's this idea of happy, blessed, to be envied almost, is the person who has this kind of life. Shalom, as the evangelist Louis Palau would say, is every good thing you want for your son or daughter on their wedding day. Love, peace, security, financial stability, success, joy, happiness, friendships, and a sense of God's presence in their life everywhere they go throughout their life. It's all encompassed in this word, Shalom. And God wants this for you. And if you knew God wanted this for you, you knew it deep in your heart, if you knew that this God is good, it's not about, as we said, the abundance of things nor the absence of trials. But it's this sense of walking with God that people go, I want that kind of life. And they say, what what is that about? And you say, it's because I, I know this God and I walk with this God. What kind of difference would it make in your daily attitude if you truly believed that? Jesus said the reason he came, he came that we could experience shalom now. And he said a kind of an interesting word, ways. He, he said that he, as he prayed, that, that heaven would be brought to earth so that we might live in the reality of God's presence, to walk with him the way that Adam had, and Eve had been intended to walk, that you see with Noah and you see it with Enoch and others when it says, um, when they talked about God, it was about walking with him. In John 10, Jesus says it this way, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's this whole idea of shalom and and this idea of happiness. And before we kind of look at John 10, and we're just going to look at verses 6 through 18, I want to give you a little bit of context because you actually have to know what was happening in John 9. That's one of the reasons that John, as he's going through it, he, John is kind of not building necessarily a, a, um, incident after incident kind of report that happens a little bit more with Mark and Matthew and Luke and some of the synoptic gospels. But John is, is, is trying to build an understanding of who Jesus really is and the kind of life he wants us to live. In fact, that's one of the things he says so often is he uses the word life, Zoe, which kind of means this idea. It's this kind of life that is not just a forever kind of life, which is a quality. The word life in the New Testament, especially as you look in the Gospel of John, is is not just about a quantity of life. It's about a quality of life. It's about this kind of shalom experience that God wants for you, and he wants for the people that you work next to and the people that you live next to. It's this kind of life. And so in John chapter 9, Jesus He's just healed this guy who is blind from birth, and everyone's amazed except one group of people, the religious cops. You're kind of wondering maybe who the religious cops are. They're the Pharisees. I mean, they're just, they're checking everything out. And they're upset with Jesus. They're not, uh, like I said uh, with, with Officer Matthews, he was kind of the love behind the law. He, they were just the law, and they were more into their own self-righteousness. 
And they were upset with Jesus. And they drilled the blind man with the question upon question. Who is Jesus? How do you have the authority to do this? How did he give you his sight? And he says, I don't know. And they say, you know, he kind of, they talk to his parents to find out more about his, from his parents. And after they can't get anything, and after um, every unsuccessful investigation, they return to him one more time. And they say this, give glory to God. It's like, swear on the Bible. We know this man is a sinner. And they begin to interrogate him again. And frustrated, the man finally says, it's one of the great lines in scripture, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that great? I... Yeah, you know, we get all caught up about trying to share our faith and, and all these kind of things. And, and you be with people and you kind of, well, I can't do that because I just don't know. You know, you don't have to share. All you have to share is, you know what? I didn't have shalom. I wasn't walking in this good life. But one thing I know, I didn't one day, but I do now. You don't need to explain all the rest. And John 10, 1 through 5, shares a brief parable. And that's kind of the story that Jesus used to explain who he is again. Because he would do this throughout, as John would show us. He would explain who he is, that he was, he was God's Messiah. He's the anointed one. And we forget the word anointed. And anointing means so filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like a sponge that when you touch it, just drips out. He was so filled with the Holy Spirit. He was God's shepherd for Israel, is what he tells these people. And he desired for them to live the good life, to to enjoy pasture and all that comes with the good shepherd watching over your life. And the people listen to the story and they hear the story and they're confused. They're completely confused. They don't understand it. Because spiritual truth isn't merely two plus two equals four kind of logic. We forget about this. When you speak with someone and you're speaking with a friend or a neighbor and you're sharing with them about spiritual things and when they look at you with this kind of dazed look, it is because it is not a logic of the mind. It's a, it's a understanding of the spirit. And the spirit inspires those who speak so that the revelation of God gives understanding. And so he, they're looking at him confused. So Jesus does what he often does for them and he also does for me. He, I mean, he'll do this for you. He'll, he'll about 10, 12 different ways kind of help you try and understand something and you're just not getting it. And eventually, he, he has to explain it in ways that we can get it. Sometimes it comes with pain. But here, he just tells us, he, he just explains the story in John 6, 10, 6 through 18. Jesus told a simple story. They had no idea what he was talking about, so he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All the others are up to no good. I'm reading from the Living Bible. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and destroy, kill and destroy. I came so that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they had ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself and sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired hand is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and he runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in for in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. 
And in the same way, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. And I believe Jesus is very much making a reference, not to people necessarily in outer space. There's all kinds of different ideas around it. He's making a reference to the fact that I didn't just come for Israel, but I came for the entire world, the Gentiles. And then it will be one flock, one shepherd. That is why my father loves me, because I freely lay down my life, and so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I have also the right to take it up again. I receive this authority personally from my father. I want to share with you three things about the life that flourishes. The life that flourishes is centered in God. That's what Jesus makes really clear. I am the gate for the sheep. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for. Will go. Will freely actually go in and out and find pasture. The life that flourishes flourishes because it's centered in God. And by that, what I mean is, you live in such a way that you have made a commitment. Have you ever said to Jesus, "Jesus, I will follow you." All throughout the day, I want you to be my guide. I want to learn to live in your presence. I want to walk in that. Have you ever made a conscious commitment that has said, I want you to be the gate for the Spirit to guide me in the decisions and all that happens in my life? That's the life that's centered in God. Augustine said it this way. Because God is the only source of good to be found in the world, human being flourish and can truly be happy only when they center their lives in God, the source of everything good, true, and beautiful. Human beings can flourish. This was said a thousand years ago. Can be truly happy only when they center their lives in God, the source of everything good, true, and beautiful. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you really believe that God is good? Do you really believe that the source of what is good and beautiful and true and right and everything is in him? Jesus is the gate, not merely one of the gates. There's all kinds of, we in our world today think that we have more abundance if we can just control and take care of these kind of things. If, if, if we, we, we sometimes think we're the source of making sure that we get the good life because we don't really trust him to give us what is really good. Ever found that? You find yourself kind of slowly, you know, you see God work in your life and you have this moment and God, you say, God, here's my life. And if you're like me, eventually you kind of get off the rails and eventually you're kind of going, ah, shoot. And then you go, boy, oh yeah, I forgot I'm not the source. As I said um, briefly last week, God wants you to know your purpose and God created you for a purpose and it is bigger than you. It is greater than even your own personal fulfillment, your own peace of mind, even your happiness. It's greater than your family, career, or even your wildest dream or craziest adventure. God created you for a purpose, and it is in that purpose that you will find your greatest fulfillment and peace and happiness, because he's the source of it. Yet to know your purpose, you must know why you were created. 
And the good life begins outside yourself. It requires for you to look to the one who created you in the first place. And where you start this search is all important because if you um, follow much of the counsel today, it begins by looking inside yourself. And we start from the wrong center. We start from our self-centeredness. Now, there are a lot of things we can discover and important to find out about ourselves. There's psychology and all that comes with it. There's a, mu- a huge amount of truths that are truly important. So I'm not putting that down in any way. But what I'm saying is there is a, there's an understanding of who you are and how God created you and what your purpose is to be, which can only be really revealed. Again, remember, it's, it's not just figuring it out with some tests and different things. Because we often start with ourselves, and, and, and when we start with ourselves, we're asking things like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals? And, and God says, really, if you really want to know my peace, my shalom, this kind of life, begin to start asking yourself, what are, what is my life to be for you? What, what are your goals for me, God? You can do that any time in your life. You can do that right now and say, God, what is it? See, those other questions that you ask about yourself, again, I tell you, are good questions, but they're not the primary question. Because the problem with that view is this. You didn't create yourself, so you won't be able to tell yourself what your purpose is. You ever thought of it that way? You see, the creator, when they create something, know why they create it, usually, right? And so if they were the ones who created it, and, and you're looking at this thing and they're going, what in the world does that do? Who do you talk to? the creator and so God says in order to know yourself you need to know me and we we have the order wrong it's know yourself we say and know the good life but Jesus said know God your father and as you know God your father you will begin to know this good life that he has created you for and this is why he comes and he says but the way to the father is through me on the gate and as you begin to connect with me in a personal relationship and understand that no longer do you have to live in shame and guilt but if you confess their sins and you freely admit that you need God and his saving power which was done on the cross he will come into your life remove your guilt and You won't be afraid of asking the Father any longer. You won't be distracted by these things, although you'll be tempted by them, but you will now be given the Holy Spirit, and once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he begins to fill your life and begins to reveal to you the things he wants you to do. The life that flourishes is not only centered in God, but it's cared for by God. The one who centers their life in God is the one who is cared for by God. Think about that. You center your life in God, you will be cared for by God. Not because God doesn't want to care for those who don't, because he does. The rain, you know, it falls on both the righteous and unrighteous. And God does this wonderful thing. We looked at this beautiful creation video. People get to enjoy that, whether they follow God or not. But the reality, the active presence of God where he's involved in your life comes because you have invited him to come. And when you do that, he says, I will care for you. I will care for you even in these difficult circumstances like we have gone through and we have seen even in the life of Bill. Um, I, I think of Sean and Wyatt and I just in prayer to say how incredible it is that is difficult to say God will care for her. That's his promise because he's a good God. And, and what's amazing in sitting and talking with her 
is how she knows that in her heart. And I just ask, do you know that? <laughs> None of us can walk out of here and be guaranteed that our next step might not lead us into something where we're going to need to know that. Jesus says, not only am I the gate, but I'm the good shepherd, which is an interesting thing he's saying to them because the, he says the good shepherd puts his, the sheep before himself and he sacrifices himself if necessary. He's making another one of these astounding claims. I said it again last week. These I am claims of Jesus are truly amazing. Go in some time to your work and just say to people, folks, you want to know God? I'm the gate. Right? You, you, you want to feel cared for by God? I'm the good shepherd. You see, until you put them in that context, you don't realize how revolutionary these statements are. No wonder the people who thought there was only one God and Jesus is coming along trying to act like he's some kind of God got upset. No wonder the religious cops and Pharisees were going, look it, it says right here, you have only one God. But they couldn't read scripture because they were, again, reading it by their mind and not by the revelation of the Spirit. Because if you read it by the revelation of the Spirit, you see all kinds of times when there's someone who comes, they talk about an angel who comes who really is Jesus in flesh, even in the Old Testament. You'll see, even as you read the Old Testament, how the Spirit of God's involved in this world. You see God, even though you don't see it in one place, you see God three in one working and caring. And here is a place where Jesus comes, makes this astounding claim. He says, I am the shepherd. Not only am I the way, the truth, and life, the gate to God, but I am God in flesh, your true life shepherd. And you have to be probably a Jew in that time to understand how revolutionary this is. Because if you read through the Old Testament, many of the allusions of God to the people of Israel when it comes to the Exodus and other things is of a great shepherd who leads them through a wilderness and provides for them, cares for them all the way to the pasture, which is the promised land. Even David was aware of that when he wrote that Psalm 23, which we hear all the time at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which means I just will lack nothing under his care. My shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Through shadowed valleys of death and feasting before enemies. Listen to how David ends this. He ends this with these words. Surely goodness, mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, as a little kid, I didn't understand what the word surely meant. I also surely goodness. I, that's how I said it. Until as I got older, it was surely. The idea is bank on this. Bank on this. Goodness and mercy will just be on your heels. Yes, you're going to face, when Jesus came and said you're going to live this life, he didn't, he didn't take us right and translate us to heaven. He said our job are now to be heaven bringers. We are to be in these situations where there's a funeral which just occurred, where there were thousands just filled. We're to be people behind the scenes serving and having the opportunity to have the voice to speak. We're to be the ones who will provide the goodness and mercy in the lives of people that follow hard on the heels of those going through trials. Jesus said about the good shepherd, four things, and I'm not going to go into this much. He says, one is sheep will know his voice, which is verses one through six. There's just this idea that there's a sense of belonging. 
mean, a, a shepherd could go into a pen. They usually kept all their sheep together in certain pens when they were traveling. And they put all the sheep together. And what's so amazing is that when the shepherd came in and called the, with just whatever his call was, every one of those sheep that were, was little lambs that were his, would start, you know how they kind of move, make their way out. And as he would start to go, they would just follow him. He didn't have to go back in and go, now let me see. He'd just count and go, yep, they're all here. Because, because you, if you have a heart that desires to know God, you'll hear his voice. You're hearing it right now. It's the Spirit of God calling out to you. The sense of belonging. I remember when I was lost in... Years ago in New Hope, when, when New Hope and Plymouth and area was being built out, this shows you how old I am. Um, I was a little kid, and we were in the store. It's Red Owl, which my sister always called Red Olive. Um, and I got I got lost. And I I can tell you, I remember this incredible panic. And they kind of you know they're going to bring me to the safe place up front. The place meant nothing to me. The only thing that made me feel secure was when I saw my mom. It, it's a person that brings belonging. Folks, we can help people feel belonging as a church, and that's part of our job. But your deepest sense of belonging is going to come where you go, boy, I know. I know this God. In this world, I'm not lost. I, I just have to look up and see his face. He not only says the sheep know his voice, but the sheep will actually um, be saved. There's this idea of safety. And the word is, again, another really hard word to define. It's this, this word of wholeness and peace. It has the idea of healing emotionally and physically in all kinds of ways. He will, he will come around his sheep to care for them. He, he not only that, his sheep will find pasture. The word for pasture is this idea of provision. Here, you may... I don't know, but I have a sense there are some here who are in a place where you're kind of going, God, it's either you're longing for companionship or, or God, I, I, I'm so afraid of my job. They might just, I may not even be there in the next week. And what am I going to do for my family? Or you have one of these seasonal work jobs and, and you're just trying to figure it out. Here's the word of God. I'm your pastor. I am good and I will provide for you. I will provide for you. And then he makes this last one. He's just, you can't go beyond this one. His sheep live confidently because they know they're loved. I mean, you have a shepherd who will do anything. He's so committed to you, he'll follow after you. As I said in this funeral message, love runs the wrong way. And all the first responders are running into it while everyone else is running out of it. Love runs the wrong way. It always runs into the mess. God will run into your mess right now. That's how much he loves you. He's so committed to you. And the last thing I just want to say is that the life that flourishes is covered with God's blessing. Again, a thief, Satan, and all the world's trying to provide, it's there to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I came so that they might have real, real eternal quality and quantity life. Better than what you could imagine. So here's a few thoughts I just want you to think about. Just ponder them. And they require your participation. God wants you to participate in this life with him. He doesn't just say, and now once you follow me, he he calls for you to daily live in such a way where you you begin to read his word and to fill your heart and your mind with his his scripture. He he calls you to worship like this. this. This isn't really just an optional thing. This is an opportunity for you to come together 
as a group, and there's something that happens in our worship together. There's something that happens when the word of God is spoken. And, and I just want to encourage our church in this. We've talked about three commitments, worship, um, community, and service. I want to encourage us again, worship is important, and it takes choices. And all this will take choice. So for, first is this. The good life is here, right where you live, not somewhere else. The good life is available right where you live. It's available right where you work. It's available at your school. It can begin in your home and family as you begin to open up your heart and life to God. I, I, I've done enough counseling, in, in, especially in marriage counseling in my day, and what's really interesting is I always have people who come in, because I do it myself, and you know, the one who's always at fault is the one you're married to, Right? If they would just change, everything would begin to get better. Right? That's kind of a subtle way of saying, well, it's hard for God to do what he needs to do here right now because I can't do anything about it because they won't change. (laughs) And I, in my heart, had to begin to learn as you begin to start to make these choices and begin to understand. You go, you know what? If I begin to really follow God with all my heart and my life, it's probably going to make them uncomfortable and they're going to maybe get more angry or whatever. But you have the power and the life and the love of God in you. And as you begin to change and don't respond and react as you had in the past, it will begin to bring change outside. We just need to teach our kids that we need to ourselves live that. The good life is here in me right now. The Holy Spirit resides in me. And and now it's a matter of paying attention to that and saying, God, begin to build my character. Help me understand the ways I react that just basically keep the whole thing going. You can be an influence where you work. It's not dependent on whether they just had a better environment for me. Yes, that will all help. But you know what? You have the best environment that could ever be brought anywhere. It's the Spirit of God in you. The good life is, is now, not someday. That's another thing that we kind of fall for. You know, it, we kind of think, well, just maybe someday. You know, just when I get my education done or, or when I get married someday or, or when I just finally have a family or, or when I get to this level of income, you know, then I can enjoy. No, it's right now available. It's here. I get, I, I, one of the things I've been toying with in my mind and, and I, I'm going to ask you to think about do you wake up and expect that God will show you favor see if you believe there's a really a good God like a parent I mean how many of you as parents wake up and go boy I'm going to really make it hard on my kid today <laughs> well some of you do okay <laughs> by that laughing that scares me but don't listen to that voice The good life is yours. It's not someone else's. It isn't just for saints and superstars. It's not for Paul and Peter and David and Joshua and Moses. It's for you and it's a choice whether you want to live in it. It really is. You have the choice to get as close to God as you want to. God wants you as close to be. Have you ever thought about that? You have the choice to get as close to him as you want to be. And are you doing anything about it? Honestly, we put more time trying to get close to a toy that we want or we want a certain salary or we want a certain career and those are not all bad things. But what kind of time by choice are you making to get close to the God who loves you, to Jesus who died for you, 
who has given you his Holy Spirit that could begin to release this in you and in us. One author says this, you know, because we get so caught up and they've got to be super ordinary. Um, but he, it, God is found in ordinary you and me. One author says it this way, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a, respect, a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. But divine God is not pushy. He needs to be invited into this receptacle. Hudson Smith remarks, just as science has found the power of the sun itself to be locked in the atom, so faith proclaims the glory of the eternal to be reflected in the simplest elements of time, a leaf, a door, an unturned stone, even in you and me. God can show up at your breakfast tomorrow. He can show up in the brief passing of a conversation with a, an acquaintance, in the smile that you give to someone. In countless hours, like I saw this last week, of people who served and prayed for thousands. As, here's a couple of things. I've heard so many comments from people. I'll just share with you from Chaplain Jill, who is of Lima. She's the, she's the Law Enforcement Memorial Association chaplain. She said to me when I was in the car on this parade route with the hearse behind me, my wife and I were sitting there, and she's up front with Mike Lee, the funeral director. She turns, and she's talking to us. And i got to tell you, it was just incredible emotionally. When you just looked at the, the people and see if he went along with their outpouring of love. And she just said to me, she said, you need to know this. This is the most truly Christian church I've ever done a funeral in. You actually serve selflessly. It's not just about what you say, but you guys live it. And I've done all kinds of these funerals. We have such an opportunity to serve this community in the name of Jesus. The good life is supernatural, not natural. It's not our ability to control, to produce, to make things happen. It requires God and his supernatural strength. And it is released through your choice of faith. It requires your participation. If you really want to see the life that God says is good, which is involved with him, it comes through your faith, and it's through those choices that says, I want to see this, I want to be a part of it, I want to participate with you. So you, you need to learn to yield to him. And as you do, you'll see his power and his love and his goodness begin to flow through you. Jesus modeled this as he relied on the Holy Spirit, and, and he was surrendered in, 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 in trust and obedience, and Jesus was not just acting for God. You've got to get this. Jesus was not just acting for God, but he was acting with God. It'll like, it's kind of like what you do with, with power steering, right? You ever had start your car and it doesn't really start and you try and turn the wheel? But you, you turn the car and now all of a sudden it just turns kind of freely? It's you participating with this greater power. In, in Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Wood writes, When we receive the gift of life by relying on Jesus, we find that God comes to act with us as we rely on him in our actions. That explains why Jesus said that the least in the kingdom of the heavens are greater than John the Baptist. Not, of course, greater in themselves, but as a greater power works along with them. And the greater is not inherent in you or me. It's a matter of our own, it's not a matter of our own substance, but it's a relational with participation that releases the kind of stuff that happened even in this last week 
Jesus, through the gift of his Holy Spirit, intended to be our constant companion and co-worker in this creative enterprise of life on earth. This is what his love for us means in practical terms. Again, I'm going to let Dallas Willard say it. He says it so well. Now, what we can do by our own unassisted strength is very small. What we do acting with mechanical, electrical, or atomic power is much greater. We know that. Often what can be accomplished is so great that it's hard to believe or imagine without some experience of it. But what we can do with these means, mechanical, electrical, or atomic power, is still very small. Catch this, very small. The biggest explosion you may see is very small compared to what we could do acting in union with God himself who created and ultimately controls all those forces. I want to imagine a group of people that says, whatever you want to do and whatever we can. Whatever you want to do and whatever we can, we want to serve in your name, Jesus. There's three things, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward at this time. Three things I just want to share with you in closing, and I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Because we're going to do one of them. One of the things that you can do to really begin to experience the goodness of God is to affirm it. When I was saying, do you get up in the morning and expect God to show you favor? That's, that's part of it. You affirm it, you expect it, and then you look for it. You get that? You affirm it. And now you can do that real easily by just saying some Bible verses like, like Psalm 73. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. Or maybe you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or maybe you repeat a truth. Jesus, you are a good shepherd, I belong to you. Jesus, you are the good shepherd, you will keep me safe. You will provide, you will love me. Affirm it, maybe through a song. You are good, you are good. Just learn a song, affirm it. Then expect it. Wake up every day expecting God to give you favor. And then throughout the day, just look for it. Be attentive to it. Because God is good all the time and all the time, God. One more time, ready? God is good all the time. God is good. Amen.